Good morning, everyone. The reading for today is taken from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. May God bless the reading for this morning. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all again. On uh, Tuesday night, Alicia and I, we didn't really feel like cooking very much, so we went out to our favorite Indian food place in town. Uh, we ate a bunch of delicious food, as usual. And then as we were leaving, I noticed a sign on the delivery vehicle outside. Here's a picture of, of what it said. Best Handoer in Winnipeg. And I thought, wow, that's quite a claim to make, you know. Um, I mean, I really like the food. I, I kind of think it's the best. But how can that claim be made? How do you know it's the best in Winnipeg? How can you, pro- uh, how can you even possibly prove something like that? So I decided I needed to find out more about this, and I did what any good uh, restaurant researcher would do, and I read some Google reviews online. Um, Rest assured, I'm here to share my findings with you today. Uh, Here's what the first review said. Best in Winnipeg. The food is amazing. And I thought, well, maybe they really do have the best tandoor in town. But then the next review said, worst food I've ever eaten. (laughs) Uh, and, and I thought, well, you know, maybe that's a, a fluke or something. So I kept scrolling down and then the third review kind of ended my, my search. The, Sam just said, it's okay, you know, it's okay. Uh, and I couldn't help but laugh at this because, you know, you have the whole spectrum here in just these three reviews. I mean, one person totally agrees with the, with this, with this claim that the restaurant's making. Another person wholeheartedly disagrees and then, Sam is somewhere in the middle. I mean, obviously, this claim is not seen as true by everybody, right? But that doesn't shock us, though, right? I mean, people make all kinds of claims in our world today, and after hearing so many of them, we become pretty skeptical people, I think. Now, when it comes to Indian food, I guess it doesn't really matter which place is the best, although I guess it would be fun to go around and try all the Indian food places in Winnipeg and figure it out, but... Uh, When it comes to some other matters, it's a lot more serious. You know, it's a lot more important to know, um, in some cases, if somebody is telling the truth or if what they're claiming is true or if it's false. As many of you know, and maybe some don't, this year we've been talking, uh, we've been working our way through a series called What We Believe. That's, That's what we're doing for this year. And in uh, February and March, we've been talking about what we believe about God. Today, we're planning to look at what we believe about Jesus and who Jesus is. You know, Jesus certainly made a lot of claims in his life, too. He made a lot of claims about himself and who he was. And his claims were a lot more serious than the claims that these Indian food restaurants are making. He claimed, for instance, that he was the Messiah, that he was the only way to the Father, that he was equal with the Father, and that he was the exact representation of his being. 
He claimed that he could forgive sins and that he was eternally existing with the Father. These are some pretty serious claims indeed. But are they true or false? Who is Jesus? That's an important question, isn't it? Especially considering all of these claims that he made about himself, we have to answer the question, don't we? I mean, we don't necessarily have to agree with him or believe what he said, but in one way or another, every person has to answer this question for themselves. Who is Jesus? According to our Bible reading today that Christian just read for us, you know, one day when Jesus was traveling around with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, he asked them this very question. He asked it in a more general way at first. He said, who do the people say I am in verse 13? But then he got very personal and asked them point blank, who do you say that I am? It's a question that's echoed through the ages ever since, and it's the title of our lesson this morning. It's a question that we still have to ask ourselves today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe he was telling the truth about himself or not? What do you say in your heart of hearts? And does your answer to this question show up in the way that you live your life? Who do you say that I am? That's the question for all of us this morning. And so today I'd like us to think about our answer to Jesus' question. You know, he claimed to be the Christ, and his claims are either true or they're false. And today I want to walk us through some of the evidence so that you can decide and I can decide whether his claim is true or or false so that we can answer the question for ourselves. To help with this, I'm planning to build on a framework that was made popular by C.S. Lewis, although I'm not sure if he was the originator of this idea. As far as I can tell, though, if you think that the claims that Jesus made about himself are false, there's only three explanations. Either he was concocted, you know, made up by his followers, or he was mentally confused and he thought he was the son of God. Really, he thought that for himself, but he wasn't actually. Or he was just a straight up con man who made the whole thing up and got away with it. As far as I can tell, if you believe the claims about Jesus are false, your logic for reaching that conclusion has to come from one of these three categories. And if there's another option I don't know about, I'd I'd really appreciate if someone would tell me about it after. And of course, if he's not concocted or confused or a con man, then he must be telling the truth and he must be who he says he is. The Christ. This morning, I want to briefly go through this and talk about the evidence for and against each of these possibilities. And I hope by the end of our time together, we will all see, we will all see why we can have confidence that Jesus is actually who he says he is. And then I'd like to finish our time today by talking about the implications for our lives today if we really believe that Jesus is the Christ. So let's get started with the options that we have if we believe that Jesus' claims are false. The first one is that he uh, was concocted by a group of people. This explanation says that Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you know, he did exist, but he never actually made these claims about himself when he was alive. The claims that we read about in the Bible uh, were, were, put, were made up sometime after his death. 
by a bunch of people. You know, they got together and came up with some elaborate story about his life and spread it everywhere. Jesus as the Christ is a concocted idea. And even though the, that Jesus, the man, certainly existed, all the things we read about him and the things that he said about himself are just like a legend or something. So what can we say about this explanation? Does it make sense? Does it fit the evidence that we have? I'd just like to share a, a few things with you that might help us see why it doesn't make sense. The first problem is the timeline. Most scholars agree that the earlier books in the New Testament, including Matthew, Galatians, and Thessalonians, that these books were written around 50 A.D., you know, just, 30, uh, just 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. If there was a group of people trying to concoct a story about Jesus of Nazareth being the Son of God, they'd have to wait a lot longer than 20 years if they expected anyone to believe them. I mean, think about it. If tomorrow morning somebody started spreading a story about this incredible man who used to live in Winnipeg 20 years ago and how he performed all these amazing miracles in front of huge crowds, the story would never stick, right? There would immediately be thousands of people who would correct the storyteller and say that they were here 20 years ago in Winnipeg and none of what they were saying happened. If you wanted to get away with making up a story about someone like Jesus the Christ, you'd have to wait at least two or three generations so there'd be no eyewitnesses to debunk your story. But the scriptures were written, the first of them at least, just 20 years after the events happened. I mean, we can even see this in the Bible itself in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He said, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You know, Paul wrote this letter about 20 or 25 years after Jesus was crucified. And he points uh, out that if the people, if the Corinthian people need confirmation about what he's saying, all they have to do is just go and talk to the people who saw it. He said there, are over five, there were over 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection and most of them were still alive when he wrote this letter. He says, just go talk to them. There's no way Paul could have said something like this if the whole story about Jesus was just concocted by a group of people who made it up after he died. All right, so the other part that doesn't make sense about Jesus being made up by his followers is that they had no reasonable motivation to do it. They weren't going to get rich. They weren't going to be powerful from it. In fact, if anything, they were signing up for a life of hardship. According to uh, ancient historian Eusebius, the Apostle Peter was crucified for his beliefs. The Apostle Paul was beheaded for his beliefs. And we know from Acts chapter 12 that the Apostle James was killed by the sword. I mean, these guys had no motive. There was just no benefit for them to get together and concoct a story like this. The only logical conclusion is that Jesus was not a legend. The people who wrote about him really did believe what they wrote, and they believed it so strongly that they were willing to die for the message. 
Jesus was not concocted. So we must move on to the next possibility. If he wasn't concocted, then what is the possibility that he was confused? He was just confused about his identity. You know, maybe he really believed that he was the son of God in his own mind. And a lot of people believed him, but it was all in his head. This is another possibility that we can explore. And I want to try to give us some reasons again for why this explanation doesn't make sense either. The first reason is that it doesn't explain all of the fulfilled prophecies about Jesus. And this is a big one. During his life on earth, Jesus fulfilled many, many, uh, many predictions about the Messiah that were written down like hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Just a few of them include that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born to a virgin, that he would be pierced during his death, that he would be a descendant of David, that he would come riding into Jerusalem to bring salvation to his people on the back of a donkey, that he would be mocked uh, about his relationship with God during his death, and that he would have his clothes divided while he was dying on the cross by people who were casting lots. Right? All of these predictions here on the screen, and, and way more than this, all came true, all came to fulfillment during Jesus' life. This list gives us enough evidence, I think, to show that explaining his claims away by just saying that he was confused about who he was, you know, it just doesn't fit with the facts of what happened during his life. And a second thing that debunks the confusion theory is Jesus' personality. Think about this. You know, if you're on your way home today and you met someone on the street who claimed uh, the things that Jesus claimed, you might be tempted to think that that person was struggling with a mental health problem. I'm definitely not a mental health expert, but I've spoken with people who've said things uh, about themselves that are similar to what Jesus claimed because they were struggling from a mental health condition. So the theory, I think, is reasonable, and maybe that's why some people come to this conclusion. Jesus claimed that he was equal with God, after all, that he could forgive sins, that he knew people's thoughts that he was eternal. When someone makes a grandiose claim like this, it's so over the top that we naturally try to find a simpler solution. Maybe it's all in their head, we think. And so I think that's why many people read about the things that Jesus claimed, and then they conclude that he must have been a man who was suffering from a mental health condition, like maybe a narcissistic personality disorder, or maybe schizophrenia, or something like that. It seems like a reasonable hypothesis at first, but there are some problems with jumping to a conclusion like this. Because Jesus' personality does not fit with the typical symptoms of someone who's struggling with one of these conditions. It doesn't fit at all. There's so many accounts in the Bible that help us to see who Jesus is, you know, his personality. And I just wanted to show one of them here from Mark chapter 1. It says in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons 
But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the personality of Jesus on display. And I I was curious about this idea of Jesus having a mental health disorder. So I, I did a bit of reading in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders. It's also called the DSM for short. This is like an authoritative document of sorts for the world of mental health. And it says in there that people with narcissistic personality disorders present as highly entitled. They exploit other people. They're lacking in empathy and they tend to be envious and they're generally arrogant. I mean, as you look at that list and think about Jesus, you know, and the way he's described, do you think it lines up with Jesus' personality? Another source that's also helpful was the Mayo Clinic. They listed another set of typical symptoms for people who struggle with schizophrenia. They tend to lack close friends. They suffer from excessive social anxiety and they tend to be suspicious, paranoid and constantly doubt the loyalty of others. Now, again, I'm not a mental health expert, but when I look at these symptoms and compare them with the life of Jesus, I can only conclude that Jesus does not at all fit this description. It just doesn't make sense to say that he was confused about his identity because of a mental health condition. So if Jesus was not concocted, or if he was not confused, was he a con man? Was he really just an incredibly crafty carpenter from Nazareth who devised one of the greatest deceptions the world has ever seen? Maybe he found a way to fake all the miracles and deceive all of his followers into thinking that he was somebody who he really wasn't. We should consider this possibility. I mean, if you were walking down the street tomorrow and someone stopped you and told you that they were the Christ and they wanted you to follow them, you'd probably be pretty skeptical too, wouldn't you? So it makes sense that a lot of people draw this conclusion about Jesus. We wouldn't believe that person on the street unless there was significant evidence to back up what they were saying. So where does the evidence point in this case? Was Jesus a con man? Well, there's lots and lots of evidence to suggest that Jesus was not a con man. And I'm just going to highlight three things. If we go back to this list of prophecies again, uh, we can see that Jesus, you know, maybe he might have been able to uh, find a way of fulfilling some of these things while he was alive, you know, conning his way into it. But there's no way that he could have prearranged a scheme to have his birthplace or his lineage line up with the prophecies that were made hundreds of years before he was born. Neither could he have orchestrated the events with the angels and shepherds during the time of his birth or what the prophet and prophetess Simeon and Anna said about Jesus to his parents when they brought him to the temple. I mean, he was just a baby when this was happening. The next piece of evidence comes from his miracles. For instance, Look at this one here from John chapter 5. I'm just going to read a a few verses sporadically. It says in verse 2, Inside the city gate, uh, sorry, inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethsaida. Verse 5, One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. <laughs> if Jesus was a con artist, this, would been, this miracle would have been impossible to pull off. 
John records that it was a well-known fact that this man had been disabled for 38 years. 38 years. We know that Jesus was younger than 38 at the time when he healed this man. And so it's impossible that he could have like cooked up a scheme with him or something and, and asked him to fake his condition for 38 years until Jesus came along one day and pretended to heal him. I, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Another miracle that would make it impossible or another miracle that would be impossible to fake is from Matthew chapter 8. It says this starting in verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I just don't know how any con artist could fake something like this. You know, if you've ever been on a boat in a storm, you, you might have an idea of what this might have been like to experience. A miracle of this magnitude is not something that you can fake. The last thing I want to point out about how Jesus could not have been a con man uh, was was his motivation. He had no conceivable motive to trick people into thinking that he was the Messiah. I mean, what did he stand to gain? He was hated by most of his people, his own people. He was financially poor. He was homeless. Even his own family rejected him. And all for what? So that one day he could have the payoff of being put to death in one of the most cruel ways ever invented? I mean, there was just simply no motive. There was no upside for him to fake this. And it wasn't like he was trying to become rich and powerful and he just failed at it. There's no hint at all anywhere in the scriptures of power or riches ever being a motivation in his life. If anything, it's the opposite. I mean, look at what he says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had no plan of being served or landing a position of power or lording himself over others. His goal had always been to serve and to give of himself for others. There was no motive for him to lie about being the Christ because making this claim only brought more and more hardship into his life. So if Jesus wasn't concocted or confused or a con man, we seriously have to consider the possibility that his claims were true. Based on the evidence we've been looking at, I really believe along with many others, that the most logical conclusion is that Jesus is who he says he is, the Christ, the Son of God. And if we read the scriptures with an open mind and we think about these things with an open mind, I believe it's reasonable and logical to reach this conclusion. So we've been talking a lot about who other people say that Jesus is. But it's time to think more personally. 
When Jesus originally asked this question to his followers, he made it very personal for them. He asked them, who do you say that I am? And that's the question each one of us needs to answer today as well. I want to finish off our time by going over some of the implications of what we've been talking about. If Jesus is actually who he says he is, then it requires us to respond in some way. He is the God who made you, who knows you, who wants a relationship with you, and he was willing to die so that relationship could happen. He's the God who can calm a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and he can also calm the storm in your life today. He's the God who holds everything together in this universe, and he can also put your life back together as well. He's the God who planned the end before there was even a beginning. And he's the God who has a plan for your life today as well. If you would only just give him your life. If Jesus is who he says he is, then there's nothing more important in this life than placing our life into his hands. He's infinitely wiser than we are. He's infinitely more powerful than we are. And he knows exactly what we need. Way more than we could ever know for ourselves. You know, right after Jesus asked this question here that we've been talking about today, he told his followers that he was going to be crucified. And then after that, he explained something to them that they really needed to hear. And I believe you and I really need to hear this today as well. Here's what he said, still in Matthew 16, but down in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus wants us to see ourselves as his students, his disciples, people who follow him and learn from him and really try to be like him. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it either. He says that if we reject this and try to hang on to our own way of living, in the end, we will lose our lives. We will lose the eternal life that God wants to give each of us. If we reject Jesus as the Christ, God will not force us to live in a kingdom with him for all eternity. He will allow us to walk away from that life that he wants to give each of us. The desperation rings clear in Jesus' voice. He says, is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus wants us to live out what we believe. Maybe you believe that he is Lord, but can you honestly say that you're living like he is the Lord of your life? That's the real implication of all this, isn't it? Think about it. What are you living for today? Are you striving for things that come from this world? Jesus is clear that there is no future in a life like this. He wants something better for you and for me. He calls us all to live like he is Lord, to live it, meaning that we actually place control of our lives into his hands. We become his student, his disciple, his follower. We strive to learn from him and become like him. If you realize today 
that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, then my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would commit or recommit our lives to living out this reality today. If you're stuck in a rut right now with your faith and you want to talk to somebody about it, please make a commitment to talk to someone, another Christian that you trust. Make that commitment to talk about it with them today. If you're listening this morning and you're ready to declare your faith in Jesus and give your life to him through baptism, we'd love to help you with that decision. Please talk to someone. And if you're not sure who to talk to, you can always talk to me. We're going to end off with a song called We Bow Down. The beautiful words in the song remind us of what our response should look like if we really do believe that Jesus is the Christ. To bow down, to worship, to crown him as king over our life. I hope that as we sing this together, we'll all reflect on who we believe Jesus is and commit to living our lives for him today and every day. Thank you for your time.